0: Grace, mercy, and peace are yours, dear brothers and sisters in Christ. From God, our Heavenly Father, through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Will the Son of Man find faith on the earth when he returns? That's the question that Jesus leaves us hanging with at the end of our gospel text this morning. It's the question that he poses at the end of a parable that our text says is about prayer. And it's an anxious question. It raises our anxiety because it strikes us as as a leading question, a question that expects an eager yes, but we find ourselves left searching within ourselves for the strength to endure. We ask, when will Jesus come? Can I hold out long enough? What if the answer is no? Will Jesus find faith on the earth when he returns? Well, there are many Christians, and even entire church bodies, who will take this question as a challenge. Do you believe enough? I mean, it certainly makes sense, At least from our human perspective, from our own understanding, we're trained to think about our lives uh, in such a way that we can overcome any adversity, as long as you have enough resources, if you try hard enough, if you get the right education, if you get enough funding, or you have enough innovation. The right medicine, for instance, whether it's pharmaceutical or natural, can cure us, and stave off death for a while. Maybe it's the right career that will make you fulfilled and give you the maximum amount of happiness and stave off that creeping self-doubt. Maybe it's whether you have the right spouse or the right group of friends who will stave off loneliness and depression. And okay, yeah, these things will work for a while until they don't. Until that medicine doesn't cure you or that career fails or the relationship falls apart. So for instance, I've seen a man dying in the hospital with a terminal diagnosis of cancer. But the family just wouldn't accept it. You see, they had this belief that God was just waiting for them to pray long enough or or hard enough or to say the right words. And then God would heal him. I mean, Jesus did say we ought always to pray, didn't he? Well, this family, they turned away hospice care because they thought God was just waiting for them to demonstrate their faith, to to have enough faith for their son and husband and father to be healed. But it didn't happen. He died. Now, you and I as Christians, we, we can rest assured that this man died in the faith, and he is at peace with Jesus now, But what about this family? What about those who mourn, those who are taunted by this accusation, this thought? What if I had just done a little bit more? If I had just prayed a little bit harder? If I had just believed strongly enough? From their perspective, Jesus' question stands accusing them. It says, you didn't believe when it counted. Will you have faith when I return? After all, isn't this what the point of the story is? That this poor widow uh, persisted enough that her bugging the judge is what broke him down and finally got him to act rightly? I mean, that's how it seems on the surface. That's what leads many to think that God somehow depends on you or me to pray long enough or hard enough before he will act. But this understanding relies on a certain translation or interpretation. We have this phrase that the judge says, Beat me down, that she'll beat me down with her continual coming. But look how this changes things, friends. If the judge is just concerned about being beaten down, being annoyed, well, he's already being worn out by her pestering. He says that she has been bothering him. Look, this is the reason why he even makes the statement. But if we take perhaps a more literal translation of this phrase, it looks something more like, give me a black eye. It's a cultural phrase. It talks about reputation. And so if we see this, then what is this judge doing? He's talking about his reputation. He cares about his character and how he's perceived. And so despite the appearance that he gives to everyone around him, that he doesn't care about what God or men think about him, when he's pushed by a poor little widow... Well, he reveals that he actually does care what people think. And so he doesn't want what this woman is doing to ruin his reputation. And friends, this changes our perspective. This changes how we understand this story. So what should we be looking at? How should we understand this parable that Jesus tells and this question that he leaves us with? about finding faith on the earth when he returns. Well, Jesus draws our attention to what this judge says. And then what does he do? He contrasts it with God. You see, Jesus is contrasting the character of this louse of a judge and the character of God Almighty, who is already gracious and and merciful, who already hears the prayers of his elect and is already eager to give justice to his people. He's already inclined to be gracious and favorable, to rule in their favor when it comes time for that final justice, that final court case against our adversary, Satan." This, friends, is the key to understanding this parable. You see, God's character is that he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He has promised to save you and to vindicate you when Jesus returns to judge the living and the dead. And that wait can seem like forever. It certainly feels long for you and me. Our lives are short in the grand scheme of things, but it doesn't feel that way. So we cry out for justice, for vindication, time and time again, and sometimes we get it, but sometimes we don't. And that's why Jesus says we are to always pray and to not lose heart because God isn't waiting for you to just pray hard enough, to mean it enough, or to say the right words. It doesn't depend on you or me, dear brothers and sisters. God will be true to his character, and he will be true to his promises. Jesus will return. And at that point, then your justice, your vindication, it will be swift. You can count on it. And so our prayers, then, are not to convince God or to make him act, but they are an expression of the faith that trusts in those promises, in those words of God. The Lord's Prayer, that great example we have that we pray each and every week, it's been called the cry of faith. Now, this phrase comes out of the fact of its placement within the small catechism. If you recall, Luther's small catechism is structured so that we have the Ten Commandments and then the Creed and then the Lord's Prayer. Well, when Luther was putting this together at his time, these elements still, they existed as a catechism, but they were in a different order typically. Normally, it was the creed. And then the Ten Commandments. And this was an orientation that said, okay, you believe, now this is what you do. It was an orientation of the law. It was focused on what you would do on your good works. But having rediscovered the pure gospel, that the gospel is not a new law, but it is good news of what God has done for you in Christ, Luther said, no, let's turn this around. Here's what makes sense. The Ten Commandments come in, and then the Creed, and then the Lord's Prayer. Why? Because we look at what we are called to do, and unfortunately what we fail to do as sinners, and then we hear the good news of what God has already done through his Son. And then, having received the faith that he gives, that faith grows up and cries out to God in the words of the Lord's Prayer. And so we pray, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And and if you know the explanation that Luther puts in for these petitions, you know that these things happen of themselves. God's name is holy in itself. God's kingdom comes without our prayer because God is God and we are not. He doesn't depend on you, but we pray that it would come among us also. It's the cry of faith that those things would happen in our lives, in our community, in our world. But it's not just the Lord's Prayer, friends. All prayer is the cry of faith because prayer is talking to God. It's, it's crying out to him for his blessings, Blessings for forgiveness, life and salvation, for for healing and hope, for strength and peace, for our daily bread, yes, for the gift of his presence. The list could go on and on, but we pray because we trust God will hear us. And we trust God will hear us because Jesus is our great high priest who sits at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. And even more than that, he has given us our spirit. He has given us his spirit, rather. He has given us his Holy Spirit, who cries out in groanings, too deep for words. So the whole Trinity is working on our behalf. He gives us faith, which then turns and cries out to that Holy Trinity, who has blessed you with that faith. And so, yes, we do pray for great healing, for works uh, that seem beyond our control, for, for things to work out in our world, for healing, for hope. But we do it not because God needs it. We cry out because that's what faith does. Well, I heard a story related to this while I was in seminary. It was a story about a young pastor who has going into his first call, and, and as he got settled into the congregation, he went to go visit the shut-ins to get to know his people. He was doing his pastorly duty. Well, he encountered this one woman who was bedridden in an assisted living facility. She knew that she was near the end of her life, But this pastor had learned that she was a great advocate for prayer. She was part of the the prayer chain for many, many years. She's what we might call a prayer warrior. She had dedicated her life to prayer for others and for the world. Well, the pastor shows up, and she can't say much at all. She's near the end of her life, but she manages to eke out Pastor pray for me. He thought, of course, that's what I'm here for. So he prayed that she would be at peace, that she would have healing and rest, and that eventually she would have a blessed end. Well, this woman fell asleep, and the pastor thought, I've done my pastorly duty. He went on his way, and as it happened, he had the occasion to visit her many times before she died. And each time, She would eke out, Pastor, please pray for me. And so he would go through this routine. He would pray that she would have rest and and even healing, and that eventually she would have this blessed end. And, And when she could, she would say, No, Pastor, pray for me. And he was perplexed, he didn't understand what she was saying. And he would go through this time and time again until it finally dawned on him, no, she didn't want him to pray for her. She wanted him to take up her prayers. You see, this woman had great faith and that faith cried out to God on behalf of all the people around her. And she wanted that to continue. This is what faith does. And she said, take this up, continue this Work of faith. Continue praying. Friends, that's, that is what this parable is all about. This is the lesson of the persistent widow and the unrighteous judge. Not that God, the righteous judge, is waiting for you to pester him enough so that you can demonstrate your faith and that he finally act. no. The lesson is that God is righteous, he is true, and he is merciful and gracious. So trusting that God is true to his word, his people cry out to him day and night. They must cry out because this is simply what faith does. Faith perseveres in prayer. So the focus of this parable, dear brothers and sisters, is not on the widow. It's not on you or me. No, the focus is on God, the one that we cry out to, the one who is faithful and just. Prayer, it's simply the cry of faith, which waits patiently, but eagerly, For the return of the Son of Man. So will Jesus find faith on the earth when he returns? Oh, you better believe it, brothers and sisters. God ensures that he will. And so knowing that, you no longer have to be anxious. Instead, you can simply pray, cry out, to the Father, that the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, would return quickly. So we pray, yes, come quickly, Lord Jesus. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.